Oh, baby, baby. Listeners, this is the Notorious Essay Podcast. This is your boy Notorious Essay, aka Steve Anderson, aka Notorious Essay. And I'm here today because I want to talk about what's currently happening in our political world, what happens in Illinois, and how that relates to the overall my mind political picture that we currently find ourselves in here we are coming up on July in what seems like a very different world than even last year it's amazing how many of us thought that we would just be isolated for a small period of time and then it turned out to be a much longer period of time and a lot of people maybe forgot the basic rules of socialization or maybe took their online personas into the real world and it doesn't always jive but people are vaccinated we're having baby showers and birthday parties and going out to restaurants and movies and life seems to be returning to what I guess we would consider normal but Normal's never going to be the same in a post-pandemic world. Just like it was never normal after 9-11, or not normal after the recession, or not normal after Trump was inaugurated president. We live in this current reality where we've seen so much in such a, in terms of historical timelines, short period of time, that I think for a lot of people... The pandemic broke them. It broke their brains. It broke the way that they interact with the world. It broke the information that they trust. A lot of people could not or would not accept what was happening around them. And when you do that, you put yourself in a position where you will be at a disadvantage when the majority of the population has essentially agreed on something and you and your group are arguing not so much how do we get involved with that or how do we incorporate that into what we're doing more so how fast can we run in the opposite direction and how hard and this double down has to work because there's no other way for us to win. And unfortunately, the election of Donald Trump convinced a lot of people that acting a certain way not only was ethical or moral or correct, that it was a winning political strategy, that doubling down and being more Trump-like was what you had to do to be successful in the political party, at least on the Republican side. And sure, Trump won the election. We can't deny that. 
the first time in 2016. And he had a real opportunity. He had a real opportunity after beating the system to really change the way we did things in America. And for the first three or so years, it was just turmoil. And while I'm not going to sit here and say that every single thing that happened during the Trump administration was bad, you can look through things that happened in the Trump administration that were good policies, that were helpful. But a lot of this is overshadowed by the man himself. And this is something I've been trying to argue for years, is that there are so many Republicans and conservatives and independents who... They're not necessarily fans of the political system or the political party itself, but they like disruptors, they like the Constitution, they like America, and at least whatever in their minds those things are. And they want to have somebody who sums up and totally encapsulates, that's not a word, encapsulates what they're feeling and for whatever reason and I think this is just mostly to do with years of being a figure in the public eye and having two or three core things that he lives with that he can't possibly change from that many people decided that my own principles and values and the things that I spent years convincing were right I'm going to give it up because I want power Donald Trump convinced a lot of people that, and I wouldn't say not necessarily incorrectly, that your principles may not be the sole determining factor in whether or not you succeed electorally. At least now, the Republican Party has shifted from a party that cared about who was the most conservative and who was the most willing to engage in the policy that was needed for America to who was going to fight and then that turned into who was going to be the most effective cheerleader of Donald Trump and again a lot of people will say that they're in this for the policies that Donald Trump supports but Donald Trump doesn't outside of like two things care about anything it's all transactional he's not pro-life he's not pro-business that's not his own. And he's not even pro-American in terms of foreign policy that's helpful to us. He's got a very older set of values that I think a lot of people in this country maybe still relate to. But the other half is just a lot of people don't trust the media. They don't trust the political establishment, they may trust their local politicians, they may trust their own congressional rep and senator, but you know they don't trust everyone else in the system. So they put everything on Trump. And it becomes a a community, it becomes a way of life, it becomes a verb. You know, when people talk about Trump, to this day, even after everything that happened, and you know what, up until the insurrection, you may, there may have been an argument about, you know, whether or not the president got a super fair shake from the media, which he didn't always get, whether or not everything he said was taken in context, which some of it wasn't, but a lot of it was, and it was bad on its own. 
after the election and after the lies and the bullshit lawsuits and the insurrection, you know, there is a very, very different atmosphere surrounding him. And as I'm recording this right now, uh, the former president is set to speak in Ohio, in Wellington, Ohio. And as I'm watching previews of it on the Right Side Broadcasting Network channel on YouTube, I see his fans crowd in and talk about all the same nonsense that we've heard for months about stolen elections, about flipped votes, about suitcases full of ballots. Now, this is not good because the president continues to lie about the election and it's having real world consequences. As part of the, you know, story I covered on the insurrection, you know, I'm still following up with journalists who are covering it. Uh, Scott McFarlane, I believe. I'll have to edit that later if that's not correct. But he's been covering this on Twitter and showing the video clips that have been released and snippets of indictments and court paperwork. And if you comb through these thousands of pages and thousands of hours of video, you see communications with people in the open talking about planning to attack the Capitol. They talk about Trump's lies being the truth. They talk about waiting for him to launch the Insurrection Act or invoke the Insurrection Act, which apparently there were questions of. The last few months of the Trump administration alone, between what they were planning to do to try to overturn the election and what they were trying to do with the military in terms of these massive changes and withdrawals without even thinking about it is just the crap on top of the crap Sunday that was the last year of the Trump administration. And unfortunately in Illinois, this whole debacle has left our local party ruined. The Illinois Republican Party is in the worst shape that it's ever been. I would say ever. And I've made this case before. This is partially the Illinois Republican Party not taking its time to really invest where it needs to invest, but part of it was Donald Trump showing up. And the vast majority of the state hates Donald Trump. Sure, you can find communities down in central and southern Illinois where, as I saw during the census, people proudly displayed their Trump flags and their all the other little sub-things that go with that. But if you came up to this side, Donald Trump was never that popular. And many people who I've known for years, who at first were not on board with Trump and later signed on because he was the nominee and that's what you do. You sign up with your nominee and you stick with him. And since then, everything has gotten worse for the Illinois Republican Party. We've lost elected officials at every level from the governor and the comptroller to congressional reps to a federal senator to state reps 
to state senators, to even local seats in Republican-dominated towns. Why is this happening? How is it possible that in a state like Illinois, where so many people do not like the establishment Democrats in charge, and where they essentially run the table without any input from the minority party, managed to win when there should be this popular uprising against the high property taxes and the misfunded schools and the, the general amount of corruption that currently exists as there are numerous people in the General Assembly right now who are facing federal charges who are still serving in the Assembly on the Chicago City Council. You know, there are these people everywhere, and yet you think that people would do the right thing, but no, they don't. Part of the reason that the Illinois Republican Party is in the shape that it's in, despite what many others will say, is not because it is not conservative enough, which, again, in the age of Donald Trump no longer means anything except for conservative is a brand name that is designed to be you know associated with fighting and Trump is a fighter therefore Trump is now conservative which is a complete redefinition of everything that word ever meant but whatever I guess people will just do whatever shortcut they had to do to justify the reins of power and after all of this and after you've lost the governor's races senators races and have no real answer to anything that they do. The Illinois Republican Party continues to do the same things. Ever since they put this new guy, Don Tracy, in charge, everything is just talking about the same nonsense about, you know, Marxist this and Marxist that. As if that playbook hasn't already been tried and failed. Donald Trump's playbook did not work here because there are many people who do not like him as a person. They are the vast majority of the voters. They are the vast majority of the suburbanites. And of course, the city of Chicago itself will never be accepting of Donald Trump. And therefore, anybody in the Republican Party who wants to even think about a statewide run is going to have to ask themselves whether or not it's more important that they cater to a small minority of super Trump supporters who unfortunately happen to be in positions of power in our local parties, or if they want to do what the vast majority of voters want. And I know the primary system generally encourages people to peddle to the base, and if the base wants Trump, then that's what you do. But what if the base is wrong? Right? What if the base of your party has no interest in the party actually winning? What if it just wants to use it as a vehicle for grievances? For anger? For lashing out at a world that they no longer have control over and no longer have as much say as they used to? Then you're fighting, unfortunately, you have people in the party who want the party to succeed, and then you have people in the party who want the party to express their personal views because if politics is all about your personal morality and all about how your feelings are 
that eventually winning and electoral gains no longer matter because eventually the people who do win have to compromise and if they compromise that's the problem and therefore you'll never find the right person unless of course they go and they quote unquote stick to all of their promises which most never actually do and the ones that do don't do anything they just say no they just exist primarily to cause trouble and don't actually help not only their constituents but anybody in the state they may bring up valid points from time to time about systemic corruption and how it works but most of the time they just serve to irritate people as opposed to actually being a constructive problem solver and that brings me to our Lincoln Day dinner which is in Illinois for the Northwest Republican organizations is our big fundraising dinner of the year it's been postponed in 2021 due to coronavirus we had it last year before the state went on lockdown and the world's a very different place now I wrote a letter to the editor in the Daily Herald which they appropriately titled Country Over Party in which I signed myself as a precinct captain from my local Republican organization about is this what we wanted and I went off the list of things I just said of elected officials that were Republicans who are no longer there as part of the backlash to Trump and how guests we've invited to our dinners are now pariahs we had Liz Cheney in 2019 and all of a sudden she is no longer worthy of our time but the new person we have and I can't believe I'm saying this out loud Charlie Kirk they got Charlie Kirk to be the headline speaker at the Lincoln Day dinner this year and when I heard this I immediately had a massive sigh in my brain and it hurts because after everything that's happened you would think that they would hire a speaker that actually appeals to people who are under the age of 60 but they don't they see Charlie Kirk this grifter whose face is too small for his head and that I mentioned is a grifter and they decided that this is what young people want to see look I'm older than Charlie Kirk right but I would still consider myself the youngest person in that room most of the time and that's definitely not what I want to see right that's what they want to see and at the end of the day that's what this is all about it's not about what other people want it's whoever's in charge now wants to hear what they want to hear to feel comfortable about where they are because if they were told that maybe not everything that they believe is reflective or tracks in today's modern world or that maybe that Donald Trump is not the best person to represent the values you want expressed for American government and then maybe Charlie Kirk of all people is the worst person you could have come to this dinner but hey what do I know I'm not involved in any positions of power 
I'm not involved in any executive levels. Curious as to why, I'm sure it has nothing to do with my outspoken opposition to Donald Trump, even though I've been with them every step of the way, from helping people register to vote, to helping on campaigns, to being at campaign rallies, to taking photos, to doing all this stuff. And I'm sure they didn't invite Charlie Kirk to spite me, but that's essentially how I feel. I feel as if I tell people what I see based on my analysis, which is usually accurate, because I will take my time to do the data, to read into it, and to know, and to at least be honest about it. You can say that you have a minority position in the state, but that you still think that you could do a better job of running it in a fair and equitable manner than the current political party in charge. But instead, they seem to make no mention of that, and they decided to basically just adopt all of what Trump says, even though he's a twice-impeached president who lost the vote by the largest not that it matters so much, but popular vote margin total um, ever in the history of America. And he actually got less electoral votes than Joe Biden did. Uh, Trump won 304 votes and Biden won 306. So, and it was a safe election and everything was fine. And most of the claims of fraud are just bullshit made up out of nowhere. But it doesn't matter because it's not about actually solving problems. It's not about developing a platform that people will rally behind and cheer and want. It's about being angry. Because being angry can be addicting. I'm addicted to rage about the insurrection. I can't get enough of it. Because in my mind, it's justified anger. Every time I hear Tucker Carlson or Laura Ingram try to, you know, play up the insurrectionist as innocent victims or play down a domestic terrorist attack as a peaceful protest that got a little rowdy. And it just seems quite clear, especially after an entire summer of defending police officers and not breaking into buildings and not trespassing, the same people whose whole love of Trump in the first place was built on the idea of building walls and stopping people from illegal entry then decided that when they were mad that they were going to go ahead and just commit illegal entry and attack police officers because the election was stolen and these people many of them from Biden states that you know either weren't competitive or weren't ever going to be competitive whereas where Biden won decided to storm the Capitol because they were political revolutionaries but I digress. It's probably an ambulance siren in the background, so if you hear that, my apologies, I can't control everything. But Charlie Kirk, the Turning Point USA guy, the guy who, as far as I know, is routinely mocked by every person under the age of 60, in every conceivable capacity Charlie Kirk is not a serious person and yet this is whom the organization that I've spent my last several years 
dedicating my time and effort to helping pick this person. You know, I've been to every dinner since 2016. I don't think I'm going to go to this one. Because I will be damned if I have to sit there and listen to Charlie Kirk for an hour. Probably talk about a stolen election and critical race theory. Not in a constructive way, mind you. A lot of the wedge issues they talk about are not done in ways that are constructive or helpful. It's designed to be angry, out-of-context pieces to make you mad and give him money so that he can continue to give you bad information. It's just a giant grift. And the fact that there's an organization that I dedicated my time to that, again, in 2019 had Liz Cheney as our special guest is now going to have Charlie fucking Kirk Like what, was there no other shitty talk show host available to come here? You know, this Charlie Kirk thing is really emblematic of the Illinois Republican Party as a whole. Because for the longest time, if you wanted to succeed against the Democratic machine here, you had to convince not only Republicans to vote for you, but also Democrats. You need to convince enough of them to not vote for the Democratic candidate so that you had a shot of winning. And if all the things turn out, like in 2014, Bruce Rauner was able to win. Or in 2010, when Mark Kirk was able to win. Or, again, in 2020, when the graduate income tax was defeated at the ballot box. It's possible to win statewide here. It's possible to do it. But everything that they decided to do since they've replaced their chairman and since Trump is no longer in office is to just continue to bank on what they think that their people want to hear. Not try to recruit candidates, not try to actually, you know, win in places where you may not have won, and not even go after the people who are problems like Mary Miller. The fact that this woman is even allowed in the halls of Congress is amazing because for one she's clearly not the brightest bulb in the drawer but two she has fairly repugnant views and also quoted Hitler and also voted against awarding police officers who fought off the insurrection and is having a fundraiser with Marjorie Taylor Greene the fact that Mary Miller is allowed to do all of this without even a hint of condemnation Adam Kinziger for saying the insurrection happened is getting flack from members of our party for speaking the truth. And what do you think is going to happen when the Democrats just divide up his district and keep Mary Miller? They're not going to keep the good Republican and be like, hey, not all Republicans are bad. They're going to try to force him out and keep Mary Miller and say, Mary Miller is what the Republican Party is. And I just feel like they've decided, yeah, I want to, we want to lean into that. We want to lean into our white grievance identitarian attitudes. Even though it's not electorally successful and it's hurtful in those cases, even though it's not necessarily reflective of where we were five years ago, even though 
I have policy issues I actually care about. It doesn't matter because the party wants Trump and Trump is just a giant batch of white grievances and therefore that's what we're going to have. You know, especially even when even when we've been able to reach out to other minorities and tell them that they don't have to vote this way, many of them feel like they have to because we're putting these people up as representatives of what we think and want. Charlie Kirk? Are you fucking kidding me? The guy who last year said Juneteenth should be a holiday and Trump, if Trump made it one, but it was blocked. And this year when it was passed by Biden said, you know, that it was just an attempt to take away from July 4th. Like someone who's very obviously doesn't have any real commitments to anything and just says whatever in the moment. This is now an entire governing philosophy for a political party of a state. Of a state like Illinois, which as of the last count is the sixth largest state population wise, but you know, fifth in terms of its economic size. One where things matter and you would think that with an endemic of corruption happening with one political party which controls the entire system, that you would think that maybe somebody somewhere would actually want to vote for somebody different. But that's the thing, is that we're not even giving these people the option to vote. Because most races are either uncontested or don't even have an opponent to put up for in the general election. The vast majority of Illinois voters will pick their representative in a Democratic primary. That's how the vast majority of people will vote. Which means that no matter what the Illinois Republican Party does, whether they try to, you know, change the system to help more people get elected, the vast majority of of this state will not even get the chance to vote on a Republican elected official somewhere. And you know, you would think that with Chicago and the adjacent suburbs being the way that they have been, that somebody would decide that a pro-taxpayer, pro-fiscal constraint, but maybe not so hardcore religious right person could possibly have a good shot at winning somewhere. But no. Why put those people up when one crazy person in the room who you like says something stupid? And instead of telling them that that's a stupid thought and they should rethink about it, we have to change everything around us because a couple people said that this person wasn't conservative enough. And in their mind, conservative doesn't mean, you know, anti-tax, pro-business. It means, are they with Trump? Because that's what I think is conservative even though that's not what conservative is, and Trump is not a conservative. It just became Trump. It's all about Trump. It's all about one person that most people don't like. And yet, there's so many issues that they could run on, and they could have a real impact, they can get in their people's skin, and make them really question why I still keep voting for Democrats. They decide, nope, let's throw it away by putting our weight behind someone who's a total asshat and makes us feel good and we would rather feel good right now and lose every two years than maybe get a little bit of hard truth, maybe do a little bit of work, and then maybe, just maybe, win an election. I'm sorry, I just can't get over the fact that they went with Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk. Of all people, 
of anybody the Lincoln Day Dinner could get to be their guest speaker. They picked Charlie Kirk, who's not even a good radio host or really good at anything he does at all. But you know what? He tells them what they want to hear. He tells them that they're all right, that Trump is right, that Trump is the greatest president that's ever happened in America, and that if anybody disagrees with that, they disagree with you, and they're not a real American. It's just so goddamn infuriating. And I know I spent the first half of this podcast ranting, but there is a more specific point I want to talk about. More so a specific person. And while the first half of this has been about the fact that the Illinois Republican Party is in shambles and Charlie Kirk is representative of the fact that there's no real plans to ever want to be successful in the future. There is a deeper, darker story behind all of this. And it comes in the version of a woman named Julie Kelly. convinced a lot of older wealthy people that this is what younger people want to hear but really he's more of a master of digital manipulation than he is any kind of actual digital grassroots if anything else it's people like Charlie Kirk have always existed and he's just the latest example of the fresh faced kid trying to tell the old people what the young kids want and really he's just validating their pre-existing feelings and trying to make money off of it. Now, the problem with people who are quote-unquote more serious acolytes of the former president, people like Julie Kelly. Now, if you've never heard of Julie Kelly before, don't be surprised. For most part, she isn't a huge widespread radio host, but she has written quite a bunch, and when I first started researching about her, uh, most of her writings were uh, in defense of agribusiness, GMOs, and you know, going after the woke left for trying to use the food stamp challenge uh, in a political purpose. And honestly, the first article I read of hers, which was in the Tribune, which was an op-ed about uh, shaming Gwyneth Paltrow for not being responsible with a snap budget and she made a good point is that lots of wealthy liberal people when trying to show what a family living on the snap supplemental nutrition assistance program budget would have to shop for you know they buy the food that they would buy but they just use like the, the amount of money which is obviously not enough so they get 
one can of caviar and one organic apple. And they're like, see, this is not enough. Which, in retrospect, whether the SNAP benefits are enough to feed people obviously varies based on you know cost and location and things like that. But the point was that if you're going to do this, try to make it a responsible and say, if you are receiving these benefits, which by the way are good things, and we should have, if you are receiving these benefits and you're trying to either eat healthy or maximize what you're getting, like this is the best way to do it. But you can also say that it's not enough and you want to advocate for more. But, you know, that's besides the point. What I thought would be a person who was sort of just fighting back against the cultural left and defending GMOs of all things, turns out she may have been initially Trump skeptical, but she eventually came around as a supporter of the former president. There's been several articles where she details her breakups with the likes of Bill Kristol of the bulwark, my people, and other Republicans who became critical of Trump. And there's also a sense of her attempting to pander to women in the GOP. And one of the articles I found, which was of her, which was written before the 2018 midterms, entitled Dear Soccer Mom, is, in my mind, probably one of the more condescending things I've ever read. Because it assumes that she's a woman, therefore I'm going to tell other women why they should be Trump supporters involved for the GOP. But instead of kind of actually, you know, giving a good reason to do so, it's a mixture of, well, I had my Aunt Lynn, who's good with voice acting, actually read it for you. So, uh, without further ado, here is Dear Soccer Mom by... Julie Kelly, published on American Greatness, voiced by the ever-wonderful Maya Lynn. Hey, girlfriend. What's up? Love the new Montclair vest. Aubergine is the hot color this fall. How's Olivia doing on those college applications? And Good luck on Jacob's big lacrosse tourney this weekend. Listen, we need to talk. I know you're not really into politics. Even though a lot of us voted for Donald Trump in 2016, you did not. And since election day, you've bragged about how edgy it was to vote for Evan McMullen, but you also thought it was edgy when you got your hair cut, like Kate Gosselin in 2006. We all make mistakes. So there's a super important election on Tuesday, and the media is convinced that we suburban moms will vote Democrats back into power. And looking at some of the polls, I'm afraid they might be right. Democrats only need to flip 23 Republican House seats, and lots of them are located in the suburbs. Just. 23 more seats until we get Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi again. Now, maybe that doesn't scare you. Maybe you think it will be totally trendy to run those Trump-loving Republicans out of office and show them who's boss. Maybe Alyssa and Oprah and the gals on The View have convinced you 
that voting for a Democrat is the only way to keep your cool chick card. But hear me out. I know you hate taking advice from someone who doesn't buy soy milk and organic bison meat, but if you would have listened to me about the rum chata shots at the club summer party, you wouldn't have jumped into the water hazard on the 18th hole. Caution, my friend. Because despite what Democrats are telling you now, just remember one thing. They hate you. I know that sounds shocking. But what about the pussy hats and the Me Too warriors and the nevertheless she persisted stand against patriarchy, you ask? LOL. You don't really think they're defending you, do you? The college educated woman who quit working to raise her family? The mom who organized every school party and chaperoned every field trip and drove to every practice, music lesson, and game for years? The same mom who now stays up until the wee hours editing college essays and scheduling campus visits? The wife who dutifully attends every business dinner and matches her husband's socks and lets him go on the guy's golf trip to Naples every winter? The woman who goes to Catholic Mass each Sunday and makes homemade soup for the neighbor when she's sick or after her mom passes away? Sorry, girl. They've got nothing for you. You are the woman they mock and whisper about behind your back. Think about it. When was the last time you heard a Democrat say, here's a shout out to all the snack moms in Naperville, Illinois. Some Democratic politicians like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez think you don't actually exist. And I have even worse news. Not only do they hate you, they hate your husband and your son even more. According to the left, white men are the enemy. A CNN host just warned that the biggest terrorist threat in the country is white men, and we have to start doing something about that. Democrats have all but abandoned white men as a voting block, instead demonizing them as racist, homophobic, anti-Semitic, white supremacist rapists in waiting. And that kind of name calling isn't just limited to the op-ed pages of the New York Times or the ravings of the MSNBC set. The left now is stalking those to the right of them, making up accusations, screaming at them in public, and chasing them out of restaurants. One lunatic even shot up a baseball field full of white Republican congressmen last year. It's getting real. I know you were angry about what happened to Judge Brett Kavanaugh and his family. If that can happen to Kavanaugh, someone with all the right friends, the right pedigree, the right political circle, yes, 
it can happen to any man on a smaller scale. So you're right to worry about what could happen when Jacob goes off to college in a few years, that he could be branded as a sexual predator for trying to get to second base with an alpha pie after a tailgate bash. Look, I get it. You don't like Trump. You don't like his tweets, even though you're not on Twitter. You hate that he's cocky and aggressive and mean to his enemies. The pundits think Trump's behavior offends the delicate sensibilities of the typical suburban mom. But maybe that's because they've never seen you in action, like that time the swim coach cut Olivia from the relay team, or when the AP economics teacher wouldn't give Jacob an A to keep him on the high honor roll. The way you chewed out the principal would have made Trump give you that signature thumbs up. Have these city slicker pundits never seen suburban moms at the Nordstrom's half yearly sale? Just hear what comes out of our buxom gloss mouths when Whole Foods is out of fresh burrata. Police, we can handle a little sleepy eyes chuck and Pocahontas teasing, can't we? Oh, and by the way, I love your new upgraded Range Rover. Economy is booming, right? Lots of jobs everywhere, and the stock market has been on a roll this year. All of that could come to a halt if Democrats take the House. And here's something else to think about. Even if you want to elect a Democrat because you don't like Trump, Trump will still be the president on Wednesday morning. Your grudge vote will do nothing to tame him or rein him in or punish him. It could end up backfiring on you and your family. So I won't tell you what to do. Just offering some GMO-free food for thought. See you at Bunko. Because Julie Kelly is a mom who lives in the suburbs, I don't think she gets what the modern American suburban woman actually thinks. I mean, if if that was like her real attempt to convince somebody who was skeptical of Trump to actually vote for Trump in the Republican Party. Now, I know 2018 was uh, 10 million years ago, so maybe everybody doesn't remember it in context, but um, that particular election was basically all about the fact that, well, for the last year, uh, massive rage had been constantly pushed at the president, pretty much since the first day. Uh, 2018 also featured both the double whammy of him trying to launch the child separation policy, which resulted in the audible cries of children being separated from their parents broadcast all over the country, along with the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh, which resulted in, of course, a very contentious hearing about allegations of sexual assault from years past, and a very contentious Senate hearing which resulted in a lot of women feeling as if 
the person that was in charge of the government, the executive branch, may not have been the best person to represent women. And Julie Kelly's attempt, mind you, Julie Kelly is a person who has been paid before she, according to her own biography, before she became a full-time mom, she was a paid political consultant in DuPage County, Illinois, which means she worked in Republican politics and knows people and knows how elections work. She should know, of all things, that this was not an effective strategy, and based on the polling that was available, which she publicly questioned and said that that wasn't going to result in the Democrats winning, did in fact result in Democrats winning, along with the Senate gaining two seats for Trump, which didn't really change much in terms of the overall power structure, but, you know, when the other half of Congress flips over, that's not a good sign for your political party going forward. Now, after this, of course, there would be multiple attempts to defend Trump, and of course, throughout Trump's first impeachment, she would call that first impeachment trial a coup. Now, the first impeachment attempt of Donald Trump, which was for, you know, illegally trying to withhold arms sales to Ukraine in order to get them to publicly announce that they were investigating Joe Biden for reasons that were later unsubstantiated and really never substantiated to begin with. But we had a whole impeachment trial over this. I definitely saw the testimony of decorated veterans who reported the president's call and believed them. And it was quite clear that just because the Republicans had the majority, they were going to acquit Trump, so that was going to happen either way. Seemed like a pointless exercise, but what are you going to do? However, it was not in fact a coup or an attempt to overturn the 2016 election, which is very ironic given what happened in 2020. I can't even begin with the irony of the amount of people who said that the impeachment trial, the first impeachment trial of President Trump, was an attempt to overturn an election. Which again, that's not what overturning an election is, nor was it a military coup. Now, these same people who said these things were bad because coups and insurrections and overturning elections were bad would later go on to question the legitimacy of the 2020 election, spread false claims about voter fraud, Julie Kelly, which would result in, of course, the January 6th insurrection. Now, fun fact about Julie Kelly is that she wrote an article uh, in 2020 talking about something called the Transition Integrity Project. Now, this was like a war games exercise made by people of uh, both political parties designed to kind of figure out what to do in like the worst case scenarios for elections, which it's a good thing they did because one of the points they brought up was what if Trump lies about the election despite there is no voter fraud and proceeds to cause mayhem, which is exactly what happened when Donald Trump lied about the election with no evidence and proceeded to cause mayhem despite losing in court a bunch and leaning on GOP officials to decertify or not certify the votes in some crazy attempt to overturn what was obviously a safe, effective, and frankly, well-run election. 
the worst part about people like Julie Kelly is that it seems quite clear that she has a prescribed audience in mind and mind you I have heard her on our local radio station AM 560 The Answer the conservative man's AM 890 and I've heard her talk about the insurrection and mind you they don't call it that they call it an insurrection as if it was not an insurrection. It was a peaceful protest where some people peacefully walked around after they were let in by the police. No, mind you, there is no legitimacy to any of the arguments she ever makes because there is plenty of video evidence from the insurrectionists themselves, from journalists who documented it, and from a growing stream of body and surveillance cam footage from the Capitol and the Capitol Police showing these very people, in the greatest sense of irony, who demanded that we build a wall and back the blue, break down walls, and attack police officers in some crazed mob mentality based on the lie that the election had been stolen. And Donald Trump, let's be clear, he straight up encouraged these people to do it. I don't care what anybody says. We all saw it happen. It happened on national television. Donald Trump wanted that to happen, and he was happy that it did happen. That's a fact. And people like Julie Kelly, who are calling the insurrectionists political prisoners, and people who are simply, you know, being prosecuted for their ideas, as if they're not dangerous people who broke in to a building they're not supposed to be in, who attacked police officers who were just doing their job, who threatened members of Congress and their staff, and the Vice President of the United States. Like, those things didn't actually happen. And of course, you know, they never even talk about that part of it. Partially because they know there's no denying what actually happened, but they have to push the narrative this was now apparently a false flag or that the police were the aggressors the police the outnumbered police who they didn't probably necessarily think they'd have to worry about anything because hey it's Trump people Trump people respect the police why would they bomb rush the capital based on a bunch of lies which is exactly what they did and people like Julie Kelly who covered for Trump in his bullshit lies and then covering for people who committed violence against police officers just goes to show that a lot of people in the GOP are not smart or sophisticated and still be, can be considered thought leaders. But the worst part about Julie Kelly, and this is where, you know, this is where people like Charlie Kirk wish they were successful, is Julie Kelly pretends to be this, you know, quiet suburban mom who just wants to protect her country and defend her president and look out for the common person. Again, Julie Kelly was a political consultant and her husband, John Kelly Jr., is part of a major lobbying firm in the state of Illinois, which lobbies for both government agencies and for-profit corporations, right? One of the highest paid lobbying firms in the state. Of 
course, you know that the greatest irony comes from the fact that the same woman who is now protecting people, who are trying to spin people, who attack police officers, gets to stay at home while her husband makes money from a lobbying firm that represents, that's right, the Illinois State Police Merit Board. The state police are paying this man so that his wife can sit at home and write lies about police officers attacking people who actually attack them and threaten their lives. It's it's sickening. It's maddening that a person like this can do this and sleep at night with a clear conscience. Charlie Kirk, there's always going to be people like Charlie Kirks in the world, but the Julie Kellys are the real problem. They pretend to be these innocent, bystander, sweet, stay-at-home moms who care about lacrosse practice and driving their safe cars, when really, she wants to help end democracy. The website, American Greatness, is full of just straight-up racist, xenophobic, inaccurate garbage, and the fact that she is one of the most prominent authors of and continues to be hosted on conservative radio stations shows that there's an appetite for this in my party. Why does my party let these people in and around them? They take their money and they tell them lies and they're happy about it? Not to mention the fact that Julie Kelly, who talks about the Democrats all the time, her husband is making a ton of money off the Democrats in this state, so don't give me that shit. It's all, it's all hypocritical. It's all graft. It's all rift. It's all lies. It's all just owning the libs, trying to pretend that you're this brave patriot fighting things that either don't exist or don't need to be fought, while at the same time protecting the worst among us, the insurrectionists and the racists and the corrupt and the grifters who spread your lies and make people feel good about themselves and spread anger well, making money off of corporations and the government in the greatest sense of irony. People like Julie Kelly are a bigger threat because they pass themselves off as intellectuals or journalists or the average American John Q. Public who's just asking questions and looking out for the concern. When in reality, their whole method is to try to maintain power at all costs. Why she feels the need that anybody's going to threaten her in what is probably a very nice house in Orland Park, I don't know. How she could look at the results of the state GOP and think that this has been good for us, that the Trump legacy has been nothing but a complete failure, I don't know. Probably because she's getting lots of clicks to say so, and she's probably getting paid to say so, and it doesn't really matter because the hypocrisy works, and her husband's bringing in the cash, so what does she need to do? She can write lies about police officers all day. She can say that they are undercover saboteurs and they're the aggressors. Despite despite evidence of police officers being attacked on video, she's still asking where's the evidence. And then she wants to see, according to 
this video evidence that she says she can't see that it shows the police officers attacking these people, which is so obviously not fucking true. You know, we're talking about the most documented crime in history from every conceivable angle and timeline. And the idea that people can just look at this and straight up lie means that either they know what they're doing is wrong and they have to keep doing it because social pressure tells them to or their group wants to or there's a financial incentive in there to do it or they actually believe these things which is believing things that are in complete denial of reality and the law and all the facts that we have around us how do you deal with people like that how do you deal with people who are shameless liars or obviously blinded by lies unfortunately there's a sad feedback loop that occurs with people who believe the lies and people who feed them those lies we can stand up to it though we can publicly express that this is not okay that this type of behavior is not acceptable and that the things that she writes and the attitude she presents is false it's based on lies and it's disrespectful to the brave men and women of the capitol police who fought for their lives and mind you several police officers have died they didn't die during the riot but one of their last days on earth was being attacked by people who claimed to be the real patriots, who claimed to be the real law enforcement. Those officers' last days were being attacked by people and having a stroke or committing suicide. Like, how fucking sick is a woman like Julie Kelly to straight up ignore that and talk about these fucking insurrectionist animals like, they're deserving of any kind of sympathy at all. Like, this is the Republican Party's problem. It's because, hey, maybe some people like this, and some people tolerate it because they want to be elected, but on a large scale, it doesn't track. It doesn't scale up. People don't want to listen to that. They don't think Charlie Kirk is a smart person. They think Julie Kelly is a racist monster. They're not going to want to be associated with us if these are the people that we are propagating as our influencers and our intellectuals and the spokespeople of what we want to do. But hey, maybe that's the point. Maybe it wasn't ever about winning. Maybe it was just about airing grievances. Maybe it was always just about borderline racist attitudes. Maybe it was just straight up grift. Maybe it was a combination of all of them. I'm sure a lot of people didn't want any of this to happen. I'm sure they thought Donald Trump would never get as far as he did, and then he did. And a lot of people decided that being part of the in-group and maintaining group cohesion and sticking it to the libs was far more important than the principles that they had told me for years that they had expressed and lived by. For years told me that these type of things matter, that character matters, that we support our police officers. When it comes to people who believe that power is all that matters, 
they'll obviously throw anyone under the bus when they think it's the time. These are the people that we need to point out, keep them out. We can do better. We can do better than Charlie Kirk and Julie Kelly. But it's going to start with addressing the problem that we want to hear lies over truths. That we don't want to really self-assess what we can do to win. And that we can really ask ourselves, how can I believe what I believe? How can I do what I want to do? How can I work within the party that I agree with, for the most part, while dealing with these people who want to play the game on their own terms? Very simple. You don't play by their terms. They're wrong. They're not based in reality. You tell them that. You tell them to their face. You tell other people to their face that they're wrong. And other people will see that and be like, thank you. Yes. Because a lot of confidence and braggadocio and whatever else comes from these people who want to spread these lies because they know they're popular and they share them on Twitter or Parler whatever else they're on, they think that they can take that into the real world. Stand up to it. They say, hey, not happening, not real. Insurrection happened. It was bad. And I support police officers, whether they're out fighting riots in Portland, whether they're out fighting riots in the Capitol, or whether they're out doing their jobs every day, trying to protect the community. You know, I don't change that based on my political beliefs of the situation, but apparently a lot of people told me that their whole lives were about one thing, obviously never really care. And that's the thing. Those people who will throw it all away just for the fame and the limelight and the money and the power, you know, when it eventually goes away and it turns out that all they've ever done is proven that they care about themselves, you know, in the long term, people will just stop They'll stop associating with them. They'll focus on other things. It's a sad, slow process, but it will happen. And you know what? Sometimes we all have to play the long game. Sometimes we have to think that, hey, maybe if I go in, this will bottom out and I can buy low and sell high. Sometimes you got to ride it out much longer than you think. And personally... I don't know how long I have to write it out here. But I know I'm right. I know what the facts are. I know that Julie Kelly and Charlie Kirk should not and cannot be the future of the Republican Party or the conservative movement in this state. Because if they are, then we're fucked. Because these are not serious people who are not good at what they do. And if we're putting them in charge of our future, then we might as well just give up. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe. Uh, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Anchor, Spotify. However many podcasts there are, which there is the distribution apparently grows every so often. So uh, there's a bunch of services that this podcast is on. If you have a service that acts as a podcast, you can find us. Just search for Notorious Essay Podcast should be able to find it. You can find all the collected works on there. 
Feel free to reach me at NotoriousSAPodcast at gmail.com. Any suggestions, questions, comments, concerns, want to chat, let me know. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to my Aunt Lynn for doing the voiceover. And hope you guys have a wonderful day. Take care. Thank <laughs> you.